Hello, everyone. I'm Edmund Daw, and pleased to welcome you to Episode 3 of this podcast for piano teachers. I'm very happy to see the number of listeners to this new podcast has grown considerably and now includes listeners in 18 countries. I also want to remind you that there is a link to a PDF listening guide. The link can be found in the podcast description. This is a useful guide as you listen to the podcast, and especially to today's episode, where I spend a few minutes talking about a specific piece for an elementary level student. So in this episode, I continue to talk about common themes in piano teaching, themes that I believe are important for today's piano teachers. During my university teaching career, I loved getting new ideas to try with my students, either through reading and research, watching other teachers in master classes, attending conferences, I found that these ideas gave me renewed energy for my work, so I hope that each episode of my podcast will offer you at least one or two ideas, things to think about and try in your important work as piano teachers. The title of today's episode is Musical Detectives, specifically how to help our students become good musical detectives. Fanny Waterman was a well-known British piano teacher, author, and founder of the Leeds International Piano Competition. She died in 2020 at the age of 100 after a long life dedicated to promoting outstanding piano teaching and performance. She wrote a book entitled On Piano Teaching and Performing. Let me read you a short excerpt from that book, and I quote, A composer gives us not only the notes, but also some clues as to how to play them. A musical pianist is a musical detective, able to spot all the clues. One of the first clues, though frequently overlooked, is the title. We should teach young pianists to investigate all the basic clues, including the title, tempo indications, key signatures, dynamics, phrase marks, accents, and silences. So this is a short excerpt from her book. The idea of teaching students to be musical detectives, to find the clues in the music. For those of you who listened to episode two, I mentioned an experience one of my teachers, Ronald Torini, had when he auditioned for the legendary Isabel Vengerova many years ago. This would be back in the 1950s. When he finished playing, Vengerova looked at him and said, My dear, you know how to read notes, but you don't know how to read music. Now, Ronald Torini is an exceptionally talented pianist, and at that time he was, I think, in his late teens, possibly early 20s. He was shocked by the statement, but he said it was a wake-up call to the many aspects of the music he hadn't really thought about too much and obviously weren't coming out in his performance. So teaching our students to be musical detectives, this idea is an important one for them to discover the clues provided by the composer to help the students connect with the music, make the learning process more engaging, more interesting and rewarding, and in the end, help the students achieve greater success in their piano playing because they have a better understanding of the piece and the details of the music. This idea of investigating, exploring the music from this perspective, is found throughout the literature on piano teaching and performance. Many others besides Fanny Waterman have expressed the same idea in slightly different ways. This idea of the student getting behind the notes, studying the music to have an understanding of what the piece is about, 
and then this becoming the foundation for the practicing and musical preparation. And it's an approach that is useful for all students, regardless of their age or level. I've quoted Heinrich Neuhaus in previous episodes. He felt this type of detective work was essential in order to determine or understand what he called the artistic image of a piece. In his book, The Art of Piano Playing, Neuhaus devotes an entire chapter to the artistic image. And in that chapter he says, and I quote, Work on the artistic image begins in the very first stages of studying music and learning to play an instrument. Neuhaus believed that this was the essential starting point for every piano student with a new piece. To have an artistic image, a concept of what the piece is expressing, what it is about. And this idea is shared by many other renowned pianists. Rachmaninoff said, for example, and I quote, In undertaking the study of a new composition, it is highly important to gain a conception of the work as a whole. Alicia de la Rocha said, and I quote, First of all, I'm not the kind of person who likes to sit down to a score and play it from beginning to end. I study the music carefully first to form an idea of what it is all about. So these are just four examples of this idea. Fanny Waterman and the idea of being a musical detective, Rachmaninoff, Neuhaus, and de la Rocha. These comments are from great musicians and teachers, among the best the world has ever seen. Our work involves teaching perhaps a few exceptionally talented students, many average to above average, and some perhaps not so talented but still making progress and a pleasure to teach. So how can all of this be applied to the students we teach, and especially to a very young student, for example? Well, I, re I believe that regardless of who we are teaching, our success will depend largely on the level of interest and engagement on the part of the student. Whether or not the student is interested enough to do the necessary work to prepare for the next lesson, whatever the piece or weekly assignment. I believe that students work at their best when we catch their curiosity. Something grabs their attention, their interest in the lesson and propels them to the next level. It sustains them and keeps them working in the days between lessons. Because this is our goal, isn't it? We see them for a very short time in their week. We have a small time frame of contact in their busy weekly lives to make this happen, to create this learning environment. It is important that students think about the music they are preparing because they need to learn to make artistic decisions. It's also important for them to feel part of the decision-making process and to develop their artistic ideas and their artistic voice. And all of this, I believe, can happen to varying degrees with students of all ages and abilities. So, our starting point for being a musical detective is, as Fanny Waterman states, with the music. So let's go back to what she said about a musical pianist being a musical detective, spotting the clues, studying the score, because a detective investigates, observes, takes notes, connects the dots, and comes to conclusions. So how do we teach our students to become musical detectives? Well, perhaps it has something to do with developing aspects of piano playing that do not always get much attention in the weekly lessons. When we teach piano, we are busy teaching students how to use what I call the playing mechanism, 
You can break it down into components like the fingers and thumbs and hands and wrists and forearms, arms, the torso, the feet. We teach them about rhythm, dynamics, phrasing. We try to help them be better readers, to learn about different styles. There is so much to teach. All of these aspects are vitally important, and we spend our days, our weeks, and lives teaching these aspects to our students. But artistic playing also requires that students use their minds and especially their imagination. I believe that the role of the imagination in the preparation of music is very important. When we imagine something, we form a vivid mental picture of it. And the mind and the imagination can be powerful tools and play an important role in teaching. Young children have such incredible imaginations. So being a musical detective also has a lot to do with using the imagination, using it as a springboard to develop many important aspects of their musicianship. Kendall Taylor was another highly respected British pianist and teacher. He taught for many years at London's Royal College of Music. He wrote a book entitled Principles of Piano Teaching and Interpretation. When talking about the music we teach, he said, and I quote, the great composers were living their lives in terms of music. Their most vivid experiences of life found their expression in sound. And then Kendall Taylor continues to say, and I quote, The eventual and essential aim of analysis and imagination is to attempt to understand and feel about the work as nearly as possible as the composer must have done. Let me say that again. The eventual and essential aim of analysis and imagination is to attempt to understand and feel about the work as nearly as possible as the composer must have done. I love the fact that he uses both words, analysis and imagination. And interestingly, imagination is a word that we don't see too often in the literature about piano teaching. So being a detective is about using your imagination to get behind the notes and try to figure out the, what was the inspiration of the composer. So to use Kendall Taylor's words, let's think about how to apply analysis and imagination to teaching a young child a new piece. How do we incorporate this in our teaching? Where do we start? Well, I would suggest starting with something familiar something easy for the child to relate to and grasp. A short elementary piece with a familiar descriptive title, something that the child has experienced, is a very good place to start. So as an example in today's episode, for teachers who are familiar with Canada's Royal Conservatory of Music examining system, consider the elementary piece in the Grade 1 repertoire book. It's a piece called Hide and Seek, by Canadian composer Linda, Linda Nyamath. Again, I remind everyone that this piece is included in the listening guide for this episode, which you can find in the podcast description. If you're not familiar with the piece, download the listening guide and take a look at the score. So today I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about that piece. It's 16 measures long and lasts about 45 seconds. And it's a great piece to try this musical detective idea, this teaching technique, because the game of hide-and-seek is well known to children, and there are many clues in the score for the young student to identify and think about, 
to develop their musical imagination. So how do we introduce a new piece to students? Well, sometimes we play it through for them, or we listen to a recording together because nowadays many of the books are accompanied by recordings. Or sometimes we just start right in with the score on the piano, have the student try to play excerpts or sections of the music, hands separately. And then we make an assignment and send them home to work on it. Well, I would suggest taking a different approach to this piece, Hide and Seek. What if, what if you introduce this piece away from the piano? Yes, away from the piano. The teacher and the student as musical detectives sit down together away from the piano and do the detective work by examining and investigating the score. It can help develop the imagination, the musical mind, and to think about the music without the complications of trying to play a brand new piece on the piano. When students try to sight read a new piece, the majority of them become completely absorbed in the physical act of trying to play it for the first time to coordinate everything, reading the score, playing the notes, the rhythms, trying to get the dynamic levels. They often become physically tense. Some of them freeze. Because if you get them to try to sight read a new piece, they are not only trying to play something new on the piano, they are trying to sight read a piece that is at their current performance level. Or if I put the music on the piano and have the student try to read it while I'm pointing out different things to the score, coaching them, drawing their attention to different things, their attention can become very scattered, occupied with trying to do all the many aspects of piano playing, listen to me, and identify the clues in the score. And besides, if I do this, I'm identifying the clues in the score and not the student. So there's so much going on when playing the piano, and to add the extra task of trying to sight-read a new piece adds yet another hurdle to the process. So, what if you tried introducing this piece away from the piano? And if you want to take the fun part element up a notch with a young child, you could even have a detective's hat, a Sherlock Holmes hat, a magnifying glass for the child to use. Ask lots of questions to get the student engaged. Get a good discussion going. So what are some of the things to cover? What are some of the things to notice in the music? Well, the title of the piece. I'm sure the student has played the game of hide-and-seek. Talk to the student about it. How does the student feel when playing it? What does the student think of when the student thinks about hide-and-seek? The student might think about being excited. It's fun. It can be scary. Tell the students about your memories of playing hide-and-seek. So using Fanny Waterman's terminology, let's be detectives. Let's look at the music and see what clues the composer has given us on how to play the piece. How does the composer paint a musical picture of hide-and-seek? Well, if we look at the top of the score, of course we have the title, which I've already talked about. The composer writes moderately with suspense. So the piece is not too fast. The idea of suspense... The student might not know what the word means, but may have already said these things when describing the game of hide-and-seek. Things like being excited to hide, being anxious, being uncertain, wanting to find a good hiding place. We sit still and quietly and try not to be found. And when we are looking for someone, we don't know where the person's hiding, so there is that 
element of fear and being anxious and excitement in the game. So then we ask the students some questions to guide them when looking at the score, measure by measure, line by line, describe it, compare what's happening. Look at the first two measures, for example. The composer writes, we're creeping upstairs. Ask the students, what clues do we see in the score that show the music creeping upstairs? What do they notice? Well, they'll see, hopefully, and be able to notice alternating hands, staccato, mezzo piano, perhaps indicating creeping, tiptoeing upstairs. Here's an opportunity. Last time in the last episode, I talked about choreography. Here's an opportunity where they can practice the staccato touch and playing it with the correct fingering on a tabletop, away from the piano. See how it feels. Touch is about feeling. And taking away the complications of playing it at the piano, they can gain a sense of how to create that mezzo-piano staccato without playing it on the piano, but playing it on a tabletop. How does it feel to play it? Watching their hands, watching their wrists as they play it while you coach them. Then they notice the patterns of notes. You have the same notes, same intervals in different registers. And as I already said, you have the alternating hands. Just like climbing stairs, we do it one foot after the other. You might even get into a discussion, why does the composer use those same intervals all the way up the keyboard? Well, stairs are the same height, the same distance between stairs. Climbing up the stairs, it's a wonderful music, musical image for the student to connect with. When you get to the top of the stairs, there's a slight break. You'll notice the little break indicator in the music. I wonder what that means. Perhaps the child would think, well, as you get to the top of the stairs, you very quickly look for a great place to hide. Well, you're probably thinking about it as you're going up the stairs anyway, but it's a quick look because your friends downstairs are probably counting to 20 and you're running out of time and they'll be coming to look for you soon. So you just quickly look around and then with the poco writ, perhaps it's an image of quietly and carefully settling into your hiding place. Measures five to eight, your friends follow. They're looking for you. They're excited. They come up those same stairs, those same notes, same intervals, same registers, same dynamic, same touch. However, when they get to the top, see if you can get the students to notice that there's no break in the music because they get up the, to the top of the stairs and they immediately start looking in every possible hiding place without hesitation. And the moment, of course, where they find you, it's a dramatic moment, right? Gotcha, found you. So it's fortissimo. It's a brand new dynamic level. Talk about that with the student. Measures 9 to 12, very similar to measures 1 to 4. Different notes. We have thirds this time, but coming down the same register, same staccato, dynamic level, creeping downstairs. And there's a little break at the bottom, just like before, when you're looking for a hiding place and you find a hiding place. You can practice this on a tabletop as well, this passage. And in the last four measures, your friends follow using the same thirds, but again, when they get to the bottom of the stairs, there's no hesitation. And the ending is different and more dramatic than the end of the second line. Because at the ending of the piece, they not only find you, but you scare them. So it's fortissimo and sforzando in a lower register. These are things that if the student looks at the score carefully and you guide them with questions, can lead to some really exciting insights for the student and connections with the music. So you can compare the end of the second line with the end of the fourth line. Compare how you would play them. Try fortissimo 
and then compare it to the fortissimo sforzando at the very end. They should feel different. They should feel very different from the mezzo piano staccato throughout the piece. There are huge opportunities here for detective work and important preliminary work on the piece. Understanding the character, the story, and establishing this as the guide for preparing the music. And yes, try it away from the instrument. Encouraging the student to notice as much about the music as possible, rehearsing little bits of the choreography. So you're teaching them to respect the composer's indications by studying them carefully, but also developing the ability to make informed artistic decisions and use their mind and imagination. This is all part of developing the student's artistry and can start early in their training. Learning a piece of music is a journey and it's a complex one. Finding the clues in hide-and-seek is quite straightforward. Other musical journeys with students are not so straightforward when dealing with more abstract pieces that aren't very descriptive. Pieces with titles like Sonatina, for example. But again, if you study the music, looking for the clues, thinking about it, determining the character of the music, the character of the different sections and the different themes, all of this is important work for students as they start the process of learning a new piece. You don't have to analyze every note, but understanding the character of the music is vital to keep the student focused and on track. And as they progress and the music becomes more advanced, more complex, so does creating the artistic image or the artistic vision doing the detective work. In a longer, more difficult piece, this type of detective work can be a more complicated journey with multiple destinations, multiple musical ideas along the way. But if students start this process early in their training, this type of approach will grow and develop with them. So it's important, I think, as teachers to keep this sort of thinking and analysis alive in the learning process. And today, we have so many resources available to us as teachers. Even when the music or its title is more abstract or strange to the student, there are resources to help. For example, I remember when I was a teenager back in the 1970s and I was learning one of Bach's French suites. My teacher told me that these were all dance movements. So to put this in perspective, the 1970s, when I was learning this music, this was the era of disco, when disco was the rage, right? So when I thought of dancing as a teenager at that time, that's what I thought about. That's where my imagination went. And I remember when he told me that these were all dances. I remember thinking, are you kidding me? People actually danced to this back in the 1700s? So for today's piano teacher, if you're teaching a young student a minuet, a gavotte, a jig, and etc., go to YouTube and type in a search. Type in dancing a minuet, dancing a jig. You will find incredible videos of professional dance companies in period costume accompanied by great music dancing every possible type of dance movement. It's phenomenal what we have available to us. And all of this literally at our fingertips on our computers and smart devices. I also want to add that my experience with students over the years a wide range of students, was that when studying the score in this way becomes a regular part of the learning process, and especially when introducing the music, students learn the music faster, memorize it faster and more securely, and they retain it longer. 
This type of detective work, even a little at a time, even when the child is young, is important. And when students have this type of learning experience and the result is they play well, they know it, they feel it, they understand the music more, and it helps motivate them and give them confidence. When I was a student, my first experience with score study was many years ago at university. So I had grown up with a piano in our house, and when I went to university, there were plenty of practice rooms, so there was never a problem finding a place to practice between my piano at home and the practice rooms at the university. However, in my third year of university, I had the opportunity to spend one external semester at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London, England. And first of all, to live in central London and to be able to attend so many concerts of the world's greatest performers was a life-changing inspiration. However, trying to find practice space was a huge challenge. In those days, practice rooms at the Guildhall were booked every day at the front desk and were only available in 30-minute time slots. Well, 30 minutes for a university piano major is nothing because you barely get warmed up before another student knocks on the door and would take the room. So I was running around all day and lucky if I could get two hours of practice per day. And immediately after my arrival in London, I started feeling unprepared for my lessons. So one night before a lesson, out of desperation, with no piano to practice on, I sat at my desk in my residence room and for about two hours I studied the scores of the Debussy and the Beethoven I was working on. It was a revelation. I found that it helped me. I was able to sort many things out away from the piano. I noticed things in the score I hadn't noticed before. Looking at the composer's markings. Practicing on the top of my desk. All of this was out of desperation but I realized how helpful it would be on a regular basis. Because as pianists, a lot of time can be wasted at the piano in what I call mindless practice. But score study engages the mind and helps develop the concentration. So I encourage you to try this type of approach with your students, this kind of detective work, even with young students. And yes, away from the piano. So I wish you well as you continue your work, and I thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, I encourage you to do so. And if you are enjoying these podcasts and getting useful ideas from them, please pass the podcast information on to your colleagues. I invite you to visit my website at edmunddaw.com for more information about my work. Thank you again. Take care, everyone, and bye for now.